Welcome to Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so that you can have courage to live your best life. I'm Rebecca Mullen, a relationship coach living in Western Colorado, and today we're going to round out the discussion we've been having the last two weeks about my relationship framework, partner, friend, and lover. We'll talk about why taking an adventure with your sweetheart can reset an unhealthy habit. And I'll give you a date night discussion topic so you and your lover can explore ways to tend the fire between you. In a long relationship, how do you keep wanting each other? The first thing I have to say about this is that allowing yourself to want your sweetheart or to truly let yourself feel wanted by your sweetheart is so vulnerable. I think it might be the scariest thing we do inside a marriage, but wow, it's so bonding. Two weeks ago in episode five, When I told you about putting my husband through medical school while our kids were little, we were identifying the sense of accomplishment and belonging you feel from being strong partners. Remember that as partners, you and your sweetheart accomplish things and help each other. When your partnership role is working well, you feel like teammates. Partnership intimacy happens when you share a project. We also talked about the safe feeling of deep rest you get when you're understood by your friend. We talked about that in episode six. Remember I told you the story of how I wasn't taking time to listen and understand my husband when he was struggling at work. I was stuck instead in partner mode trying to fix his problem. But when you can drop into that friend zone where there's no agenda, your sweetheart feels your unconditional love and acceptance. They feel safe because they have your friendship to comfort them. Friendship intimacy happens when you share a story. And now, today we're going to talk about the lover. The great feeling that comes from being lovers is the reassurance that I am wanted. A lover feels intimacy when you share a new experience. Let's look at what it would be like if your lover connection goes missing first, because I think that that will give you some perspective. So you feel security when your sweetheart needs you. But if they need you and don't want you, you feel kind of used, right? And when your sweetheart understands all your secrets, but doesn't want you, then they know exactly how to hurt you. So this is why it's important to keep that lover relationship vital because the wanting flavors everything else better. But how do we do that? Surprise of the century, I'm going to share a story to answer that question. My husband and I took a few dance lessons. I thought this would be very romantic and sexy, and I was picturing that tango scene from Scent of a Woman and Al Pacino. But um, 
<laughs> well, that is not exactly what happened for us. First of all, we all know my tendency, especially when I feel out of control, like when I'm learning something new, is to resort to that partner role in my marriage. I'm more comfortable achieving a goal than throwing caution to the wind and trying something new. That tendency actually makes me a great life coach, but it also makes me sometimes an uptight lover. You can't achieve your way into that tango scene. The passion in that scene is about visceral wanting. It is the opposite energy from achievement. But that doesn't mean I didn't try <laughs> to achieve and accomplish my way there like it was a box to check off. And believe me, my husband could feel my agenda. Now, what you need to know about my husband, Dave, is that he is what Gretchen Rubin, the author of The Four Tendencies, would call a rebel. You probably already have an idea of what I mean by that. And the instant I tell him what to do, he balks. He is out of there. And his way of letting me know he is out of there is to tease and make jokes. So then I feel like he's not taking this activity seriously. And how exactly are we ever going to have the Al Pacino moment if he doesn't learn his part? Right? <laughs> so then I become more controlling. We need to get this figured out, Dave. And he becomes more rebellious. Girlfriend, you are certainly not the boss of me. And this evening out, which was supposed to be so romantic, was not. We came home, and after some perspective, we decided the only way these dance lessons were going to juice up our marriage was if I stopped trying to accomplish learning how to salsa. And David needed to feel like he was having fun. He needed to want to be there. The very essence of the lover role in your relationship is that you want each other. So that means both of us needed to want to be their salsa dancing. When are you free to want what you want and feel that joy and laughter? When you are free to want what you want and feel joy and feel laughter, something chemical happens in your body. The ultimate example of this is an orgasm. So let me tell you about the hormones that get released in your brain. Oxytocin, the attachment hormone, is released during sexual arousal in large quantities. Norepinephrine, the fight or flight hormone, gets released in our brain when we sense danger. Okay, stay with me for just a moment. Oxytocin in addition to being the attachment hormone, seems to contribute to lowering levels of norepinephrine, the fight-or-flight hormone. So when you let yourself be free to want what you want, those juicy hormones flood your body, you feel more attachment and togetherness, and fear is washed away. So pleasure and pain both leave a chemical footprint in our bodies. It makes a difference. We can feel it, right? So just to review, partners help, friends comfort, and then lovers lubricate. And it's true. Sex and orgasm wash us clean to start fresh. There, there is that literal chemical washing of our system. 
we soften toward our mate after sex. Have you ever been irritated with your sweetheart and then you had sex and suddenly, wow, all that irritation is just gone. (laughs) As humans, we are social creatures and we want to bond. We have an existential loneliness that makes us want to hook up. And then we are flooded with a feeling of elation, which makes us feel oneness rather than aloneness. We want those hormones. We want our mate and we want them to want us. Okay, so the next time Dave and I took a dance lesson, we just focused on what we both wanted. We ignored the class rule that you're supposed to regularly change partners so that you learn how to dance better. We just wanted to be with each other. And we wanted to be with each other more than we wanted to learn to dance. And when David kept goofing around, I let myself laugh. I laughed. And rather than notice how far he'd strayed from the curriculum we were supposed to be studying, I let myself notice how sexy he is and how much he must want to make me happy to take this class that he thought was stupid and made him feel self-conscious. I kept noticing all the ways he was being kind to me. I kept noticing how much I love the shape of his mouth. I noticed how his hand fits at the small of my back and guides me as we danced around the room, and I really loved that gesture. And all of this noticing sparked my desire, and I actually no longer cared about learning to dance. I just cared about how much I want him in my life. We'd get all the steps tangled up and Dave would say, leftover right wife. And I would toss my head back and laugh. And my laughter lit him up. And we didn't even care about the correct steps. We were dancing. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I told you that story so I could tell you this story. So after all the overwhelm of medical school and having babies and my mom dying and moving, and when that part of me that was most married to control, David and I took a rafting trip down the Grand Canyon. Now remember how I told you that we developed some habits that weren't great. They weren't serving our happily ever after. I'd try to fix and control, which made him withdraw. And when he stopped sharing his stories with me, I felt abandoned and lonely, which sharpened my edges. And we were really just sort of surviving in our house. And there wasn't much warmth. Certainly not the warmth you think of when you dream of happily ever after. And then this opportunity for a trip down the Grand Canyon came up. It's really difficult to get a permit for a trip like that. And this felt like a once in a lifetime opportunity. We both really wanted to do this trip. So we said yes, and we made a plan. The plan was David would do the whole trip, 21 days. And because I was reluctant to leave our children that long, I would hike in halfway and join him. We had some friends and they were doing the trip as well. And the husband was a farmer. And so he couldn't take 21 days off either and leave his land that long. So his wife rode on my husband's boat the first half of the trip. And the farmer husband and I hiked in together at the halfway point. The hike down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon is grand and tiring And I was bushed when I got there, but there was no time to dawdle because we had to get down the river 
and set up camp for the night. The rapids in the Colorado River of the Grand Canyon are big and scary. I mean, thrilling. (laughs) And after the first big rapid, our group of seven rafts pulled over to scout the next rapid. There's always chatter about the rapid and, oh, wow, that diagonal wave really threw me and I had to take a second stroke and I got off my line. And someone else would say, oh, yeah, me too. I almost got sucked into that hole. Did you see that massive hole? Now, I'm just a passenger on a trip like this. I am not rowing a boat, but I kayak a very little bit. So I know enough about rivers and eddies to listen and participate. And it's a whole different language filled with adrenaline. During all this chatter, my husband says to our friend, wow, I really miss having you on my boat. And he points to our friend who had ridden with him the first half of the trip. And all the chatter stops. Because, wait, why did he say this? But after a beat, people began talking about waves and lines and where to enter the rapid. And pretty soon we're back on their boat and heading down the river in another gigantic rapid. Except my brain didn't leave the shore. I was fixated on what my husband had said. Why did he miss having our friend on his boat? And then my brain started spinning a story. He was happier before I got there. I'm ruining his fun. I'm just the controlling, bossy wife who doesn't know how to have fun. And then the river grabbed us and we were swept into the next rapid. And suddenly my brain is focused on staying in the boat rather than falling out in all that frothy white water. I'm sitting at the bow of the boat, taking every wave head on. I go underwater, and then the raft surges up, and we do this again and again. And then my husband says, darling, can you unbuckle that oar next to you and hand it to me? I'm thinking, this is hardly the time to be messing around with buckles, Dave. Let's wait until we get to calmer water. And I say as much. But my husband firmly says, I need you to do it now, please. This is when I realize that David has broken an oar, and that is why he needs me to unbuckle the spare. Okay, so oars in a raft like ours are about 12 feet long. My hand is too small to go all the way around one. The diameter of the thing is so big. And of course, because it's an oar, it has a giant paddle on one end. What I am trying to tell you is this thing that I'm supposed to be unbuckling is big and unwieldy, and the river has a hold of us, bouncing us from wave to wave. So I scurry back, even as waves continue to break all around us. I'm holding on best as I can as I straddle the slippery pontoon that makes the edge of the raft, and I unbuckle the oar and trade David for the broken oar. I need you to buckle the keeper strap around it so it doesn't slip my husband says. I wedge myself in and I reach out to grab the strap. Another wave hits us, but now David has two oars and he takes a stroke as he tells me to keep my head down out of the way. I duck and I do as I'm told and then I crawl back to the front of the boat just about the time we reach the bottom of the rapid, both bursting out laughing. (laughs) Do you, do you know that laughter? Like this is stress relief, like your whole body shakes with laughter. 
And we were laughing so hard that one of the other rafts in our group said, what is so funny, you guys? And David held up the broken oar. The river was flat for a while after that. And as our adrenaline wore off, we talked through what had happened. And David told me that he was concerned about this rapid and worried about having enough weight so he didn't get pummeled around in the rapid. So he filled his cooler with water. But this made our boat so heavy that when David took a defining stroke with his oar, the power of the river coupled with the weight of our raft snapped the giant oar like it was a toothpick. How did you stay so calm? I asked him. You asked me for the oar as if you were asking me to pass the butter. <laughs> he laughed. And then I laughed. Well, maybe you're glad I'm in your boat now, I said, my brain returning to the story from before and feeling hurt again. No, he said, this was my nightmare. I looked puzzled, and a light went on inside my husband's head. Oh, when our friend was on my boat, I was so lighthearted about all this big water. And then you got in my boat and suddenly I imagined what would happen if I lost you in one of these rapids. I was terrified and I suddenly felt so much pressure and I'm no longer feeling like that carefree guy floating down the Colorado River. Suddenly I understand what he said so differently. I wasn't a burden or a bore to my husband. I was his treasure. He suddenly felt the weight of the adventure and was scared for the first time on the whole trip. But then the horrible thing happened and we worked as a team and survived and then laughed and kissed and laughed some more. Lovers crave passion like that. And we were getting a boatload on that afternoon. The trip continued, and now that I felt like a treasure to my husband, I felt set free. I was more than the workhorse that put him through school. I was the cargo on his boat that he couldn't imagine losing. I felt wanted. I felt wanted for the first time in a long time. And David felt respected. He was my hero again, and that made him feel wanted. You are going to have tough times in your marriage, and there's an overwhelming amount of work to do. That work will drown out the play, and you might forget how to sit and just listen to your sweetheart. Or you might feel the burden of too much responsibility and feel like your sweetheart isn't pulling their weight. Times like that are really hard really, really hard. You might even develop habits that are lethal to your relationship like we did. And that's why you need to have adventures together. An adventure, when you get out of your environment and out of your routine, lets you reset. I'm very lucky to have gotten to raft the Grand Canyon. And obviously, that's not the right adventure for everyone, but maybe you and your spouse would have fun getting lost in New York City. Or you'd laugh when you traveled somewhere that you don't speak the language and you're struggling to order food. 
You don't even need a big vacation to have an adventure, though I truly recommend it if you can afford it. In a later episode of this podcast, I'm going to help you plan a super cool treasure hunt in your own backyard. Or I'll help you elevate a simple picnic. But there's a difference between the kind of struggle that is that nitty-gritty everyday laundry and groceries and bedtimes and brooming the kitchen kind of struggle. That kind of struggle is mundane, and too much of it can make you feel like you're dying a slow death. The struggle you face on an adventure is the struggle of facing the unknown. It's exciting, and it bonds you together because you're both so alive. Yes, the romance will leave your relationship if you don't tend it. The lover role in your marriage is the fire that keeps you warm. But you need to feed that fire or it will go out. I hope this podcast will feed you ideas to keep you and your sweetheart wanting each other. It's easy to adore the lover in your relationship because life is so exciting. But excitement is the sunny side of chaos. (laughs) So to help you recognize your the lover role in your relationship, here's a couple clues to look for. You'll feel the lover in your marriage when your self-worth is sagging. A lover makes you feel wanted. Your lover might leave you feeling a little lonely when they leave because lovers get seduced by life and they say yes without thinking how their actions might impact you. A lover is all about play. They are exploring. Lovers adore new food, a new band, or a new sport. But you might feel a little frustrated by your lover when they leap before they look. Lovers want adventure so much, but sometimes that can feel irresponsible to you. But you'll want a lover in your marriage when you want some good sex because a lover enjoys their body and they enjoy your body and their favorite is when the two come together. This segment of my show is where I offer you a date night discussion prompt. Remember that my definition of a date night doesn't need to happen at night and it doesn't need to be significantly lengthy, though I hope today's story helps you see the value of taking time to welcome adventure and keep your relationship exciting. But the reason that I don't want you to wait to ask the date night questions of your sweetheart is that they are meant to be those tiny reminders between your big adventures so that the two of you can become more loverly together. <laughs> My intention is just to provide a moment of connection. And I believe that when you set the expectation ridiculously low, then you can follow through. You do it instead of waiting for some big, monumentally fabulous date night with cloth napkins and candles. Bottom line, when it's easy, you'll create a habit. And so let's make this easy, because habits that connect you will foster your happily ever after. So here's question number one. When do you and your spouse connect best? 
as lovers? What kinds of adventures do you enjoy? What makes you want your lover? And lastly, when do you feel desirable? So hint, think mostly about when you laugh most easily. Or maybe when you're a little bit scared as you both step out of your comfort zones together. A tiny bit of fear once conquered together tends to be a very bonding for lovers. The idea with these questions is just to begin begin to get a glimpse of the lover role in your marriage. Don't put pressure on yourself to get signed up for salsa lessons today. If you want to find these questions written down, go to the show notes at habitshappilyeverafter.com slash podcast. And this is episode number seven. It's little moments like the realizations that come from questions like this that create a life of marriage and create habits of tomorrow. And so I would really love to know how you and your sweetheart are going to be good at adventuring together and cultivating that fire that fuels your lover relationship. Please email me and tell me about what you figured out, what the answers were to your questions. Email me at podcast at habitshappilyeverafter.com. That's it for today. I'm Rebecca Mullen, and this has been Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're better able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you can have the courage to live your best life. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be grateful if you'd send a link to your friend. Habits for Your Happily Ever After is produced by Grace Smith. All our music and sound comes from Walk West Productions. I'm Rebecca Mullen. Thanks for including me in your relationship today.